0: Good morning, City Hill. Great to see you guys on this beautiful summer day. How many of you have family that are in the Dominican Republic with this team? Some of you here, yep. We have a a team of, I think, about a dozen or 15. I got a call yesterday. They said they're doing great. They've been building a house for a Haitian pastor up in the mountains of Harapokoa. The church build has gone, I mean, the building has gone great. Their time with the team has been wonderful, and they wanted to pass on the good news that God is with them, and they're watching lives get changed, the people who are down there. It's a good thing to see our youth and our, a lot of young ladies actually on this building team, women rock, amen? They can build a building up there in the mountains. You know, our families matter. I was thinking this week of, you know, whether your family is the perfect Christian family or whether your family is a dysfunctional mess, or somewhere in between, our families matter, right? They they somehow get into our hearts, they're part of us, they affect us. And that's just the way that God designed it. He designed it that our families make an incredible difference in our lives. And you know, families are the building block of our society, of America, of any society. And it's no wonder that our families are under such incredible pressure and attack These days it's been said it takes a village to raise a child and I actually fairly believe that I think that's a fairly good statement that it takes more than a family to raise children. We need each other. Now may I say as we look towards how to care for there's lots of babies young children in this church how to care for them. We are praying and asking God how from birth Up to 18, what can we invest in their lives to help them come to know Christ personally? To help them own their faith? To help them be ready for the attacks and the assaults that they'll find after high school upon their faith and their way of thinking? All of that we're looking at very seriously as a church. But be it said, nothing comes close to the power of your family. Nothing comes close to the impact of what you invest in the children of our our congregation. So it takes a community. It takes all of us working together and one of my desires is that we would grow as a church to help prepare parents better for how to disciple their children. Helping parents have the tools for better discipling of their kids. You know, um, I'd appreciate prayer on a personal note. Janet and I leave right after this service. We're on our way to a family reunion. You know, my kids, as they were growing up, we grew up in the Dominican Republic, and we told them, God has a call on your life. God has plans and purposes for your life that you need to discover. Go change the world for Jesus. And they went, okay. And they ended up all over the world at different times. We had kids in China at time. one time we had China, South Africa, and Switzerland, I think. And I'm thinking, wow. They actually were listening. They actually went to make a difference. And now today there's been some changes of where my kids live. And we've been planning for over a year, and tomorrow night we will all be under one roof in Colorado. Hallelujah. We'll be we got a place out there in the mountains and people are flying in and driving in and by tomorrow night, Lord willing, all of us along with our three granddaughters will be together for three nights at a house out in Colorado. So it's, it's good because family matters. Unless you think, you know, the Nurelles are the perfect family, I can tell you very clearly we are not. If you know the inside scoop, you know, there's, there's we all got our quirks, right? Everybody's got their stuff and the issue, going, but we love each other. And we love the Lord, and we realize that time together is of great value. So we appreciate your prayers as we, the Nurels gather together for this time of family. Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your family. That God, beyond our nuclear bloodline families, that God, you have your heavenly family. And that God, we are part of that family here on this earth. Father, help us as we endeavor to become what you envision us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good. And acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. A true disciple of Jesus Christ lives counter culturally. A true disciple does not live conformed to this world. Francis Schaefer, a well known apo- Christian apologist, known for helping the Christian world think through the tenets of their faith, had a question that he posed really internationally. His question was, how should we then live? How should we then live? How do we live in this world as those who love and follow the Lord Jesus Christ? He wrote a book called The Rise and Decline of Western Thought and Culture, published first in 1976. But I think the question still resonates maybe even more than ever for us today how should we then live how do you live as somebody who follows christ in this world how does that work in this world in which we live so a little history our nation the united states of america was founded upon christian principles we've been called a christian nation the constitution is full of biblical principles Prayer and Bible reading was common in the public school system. Sporting events and graduations included prayer and references to God and even to Jesus Christ. Not just to God, but in Jesus Christ. And the football teams would take a knee before the games, not in protest of America, but they'd take a knee in honor and recognition of God before they went for a football game. Imagine. Christian morals were encouraged In the public realm, when when we were sent to the public schools, the sense was they would encourage honesty, godliness, those kind of things, Christian morals. The Ten Commandments were in proud public display in many public arenas, in courthouses, in other places. Over time, there was a shift, within our lifetimes there had been a shift to a post- Christian society, where the majority of citizens no longer attend church, church attendance nationwide has been on a great decline, where secular thought is dominating, seen as the most important way to think, and the church and the Bible are perceived as, or have been perceived as nice, um, antiquated but somewhat irrelevant to modern life, just kind of off there on the side for those churchy people. I would say Christianity was kindly tolerated, but we are quickly sliding into a third category, which I will call the anti-Christian society, where the Bible is being seen as repressive, bigoted, hateful, and damaging. And those who believe and follow the tenets of the Bible are seen as the same. It's happening more and more in our society. And I ask you, how should we then live? What does that look like for you and I? So you have to make decisions of how you make your decisions in life. What is it that guides you? I'm going to get real personal. What guides your decisions? How do you make the decisions, the many, many decisions you make in life, what do you base them on? Now, some people would make their decisions based on emotions. They'd say things like, "Um, it just feels right to me, or I just trust my gut, or we'd say follow your heart, and it's just whatever feels right on the inside, that's what makes your decision. They say things like, you know, that just doesn't set right with me, or I don't feel it. Do you feel it? And that the feelings become everything. Whatever you feel becomes truth. You can make decisions based on emotions. Many of us would make decisions based upon our mind, upon rationale, upon what is the logical way of doing things. I remember just asking a friend how he got from A to B. And I had it planned out at certain times of the day, the traffic was more strongly, it was, more, it was slower here. So I'd go this way in the morning, this way in the evening. My whole goal was speed, how to get there quicker. And he said, well, I always go this way. And I go, well, why? He goes, feels better. I was like, what kind of a stupid answer is that? It's not logical. He goes, what do you do with those extra two minutes anyway, you know? It just feels better. And I thought, okay, there's something to that, right? So his way was just whatever felt better. It still makes no sense to me. But logical. We try to figure things out with our mind. And where that leads to is we say things, when we think about faith, we say things really like, if I were God, that's not the way I'd set things up. You ever said that? If I were God, I wouldn't let those bad things happen. If I were God, I would step in here. If I really what you're saying is I have a better plan than God does. And we set God up and we are in judgment over God himself. Because we judge things due to through our mind. Hear me, I'm not saying shut off your mind. I'm just saying these are the ways that we view the world. And lately, one of the ways that we've been making decisions are through our society. We say things like, that's not PC. You don't say those things around here. You get in trouble if you talk like that. But if you notice, the truth is changing along with our society. So truth becomes relative and changing as our world and our society changes. It's determined by a public vote by the crowd, by the media. And I would like to challenge us as followers, I'm speaking to us as the church, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we would once again let the word of God be what is our rock and our foundation. That when we are challenged with the things of life, that we would go back and say, what does the word say about X item? One of the things we have today that we never had before is Google. And actually, it works really well. You say, what does the Word of God say about, and you fill in the blank, just Google it. What does the Word of God say about evolution? And it's going to give you 100 verses that talk about whatever theme you're interested in. And it's a good way to go back and see what the Word of God says. Before, we had concordances. It's a different way, but nobody even knows what a concordance is anymore because we have Google. Google. And it works. It's a way of going back to the Word and seeing what the Word of God says about the items and the things of our life. So when we do that, we honor the Lord. We honor His Word and we in humility say, God, you are God and I am not. And I trust that your Word has insight. You are the designer, the creator. You are the one that created us You are the one that created me, and I trust that your word knows better than I do. And I believe that is the fear of God that says, I honor the Lord and his word, even when I don't really understand it all. We honor the word of God as as a way to make decisions. It wasn't it Christ that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What an incredible statement. He claimed not only to speak truth, but to be the truth. And we're talking this summer about discipleship, what it is to be a disciple. And I like that video. A follower is not just someone that we're friends. We friended me. We, we like that person. We like Jesus. But a follower is one that is in obedience and walking in step with Christ himself. So we let the word of God stand as our guide. Because if we don't, we become like the man who doubts in James 1, verse 6. It says, he's like the wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We see a lot of that in the world around us. People who are just shifting from here and there. They're going everywhere, but they are not solid in what they believe. And that can be true of us in the church as well. What we want to be is like the man, the person of Psalm one, verse three. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. I like that image of being that kind of a person. It's not a person that's rigid, nor proud, nor bigoted, nor ignorant, nor closed-minded, none of that. It's just grounded, solid, firmly, standing firm in their convictions, dependable and prosperous. Wherever they go, there's favor upon them because they're grounded upon the word of God. I return back to our opening verse of Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. See, Paul was writing this book to a church in Romans, in Rome, hence the book Romans. It was a new church. They believe the church was founded by probably some people who had been at Pentecost. And when then they went out into the nations, they went back and someone preached the gospel back in Rome And a church was founded. And in that day, Rome was the center of the world. They governed by their military might. And their society and their way of thinking was deeply influenced by Greek thought. And so they, hearing about one God instead of many gods, would have confused these people, the Romans. And how many of you know that when you get saved, your way of thinking doesn't change overnight? You don't just get saved and boom, you think just the way. No, it takes time. The Bible talks about having your mind transformed and renewed. Now those outside the church say, well, you're just brainwashed. And that's always a negative word. But I think there's a positive brainwashing that we need. It's a washing of our mind of ways of thinking that are ungodly and letting the word wash our mind, and change our ways into the right ways of thinking. Paul, thinking of this particular challenge, he says in 1 Corinthians, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews and it's folly or stupidity to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Do not be conformed to this world. We are called to be in the world, but not of it. How do we do that? It's like sw- we're swimming in the waters of this world, but we're called to be not of it, to be a light in the darkness. And Let me say it's easier and easier in some ways to be a light in the darkness because the darkness is more prevalent today. There's more darkness around us, so as we walk with Christ, our light shines brighter and brighter. But there are people who are out to influence and disciple, you know. When I say disciple, I'm using it in the broad sense of not just as a disciple of Christ, but to change the way you think. They want your money. They want your affections. They want your mind. Otherwise, they wouldn't pay so much for, like, Super Bowl ads. You know a Super Bowl ad, 30 seconds, you know what it costs? $5.2 million for a 30-second ad at the Super Bowl. That means somebody says this little 30 seconds is going to influence enough people that financially will make more than that. They... And, It must be true or they wouldn't pay so much for those ads. They want to disciple you. And we have to open our eyes. I just want to say we've got to learn to think critically. We've got to look to realize that the world is not truth just because it says so. When it's shouting things at you, we have to learn to think. Otherwise, we're just going to be lamely, blindly led along with the crowd, which is not moving in the direction of God this week I asked for some responses from the church to juxtapose the world and what it is to be a disciple of Christ here's some of the answers the world puts one's personal interest above everyone else a disciple is called to put Jesus first the world wants to get back at those who are mean to us But a disciple of Christ, I'm called to love, forgive, and pray for those who hurt me. The world prioritizes possessions and comfort. As a disciple, I choose to prioritize time with my children. The world judges external appearance and wealth, or by external appearance and wealth, a disciple learns to look at the heart. The world lives in the fear of death. A disciple lives by the fear of God. The world says it's important to fit in by following all the latest style trends. A disciple of Christ, as I am, I'm called to dress so as not to call inappropriate attention to my body. The world lives like victims, eager for sympathy that allows them to continue their self-destructive path. A disciple of Christ is called to be a co-he- co-heir with Christ, empowered to be agents of salvation, not by my own strength, but by the Holy Spirit himself. The world looks to be served the a disciple of Christ. I live to serve others. Lastly, we live in an upside-down kingdom. I like that. We live differently than the world around us. At least we should. I just want to challenge you, if your life looks no different than the unsaved neighbor next to you in any way, something's wrong. Now the danger of this kind of a message is to give you some list that you need to check off. That's not the goal. The reality is we are incapable of serving Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. It's important to go, God, I want to serve you, but I need your help. I need your spirit to work through me, to flow through me, so that these things come naturally, or at least better than they used to. That your spirit would work through me as I let you be my Lord and not me be the Lord of my life. So let's take some different topics here. And I just want to say I'm I'm taking this on kind of a high level. All of these topics could be sermon series in themselves, so I'm not going into the details And I have no doubt that I may offend some people this morning, but I've decided, praise the Lord, I've decided that if I'm not offend somebody periodically, I'm not doing my job. So, there you go. But my goal is not offense. My goal is that we would have our eyes open to the things, the messages that are shouted around us, and have our eyes open to what Christ would have for us, because God's ways work. For us. He designed us. He knows how we work. So, I'll get some different topics real quickly. Sexual relations. Start right off with it. The world says sexual intimacy is fine, even good, as long as you care about each other. Or, with all the hooking up going around in the world today, it's just a form of recreation. That's what the world says. But the Bible makes it very clear that sex is a wonderful gift of God to be exclusively celebrated inside the covenant relationship of marriage. End of story. That's what the Bible says. You may not like it, the world may not agree, but that is what the Word of God says because our sexuality is core to our being. It's, who, it's very intrinsic to who each of us is and God has made us and says this is how you are to, this is how your bodies are to be in relations to others. It says don't fornicate, don't commit adultery. That's what the Word of God says. I remember as Janet and I were getting married. By God's grace, we were married in purity. People in her hospital were like, "You're not sleeping together? What?" And they were just had no idea what to do with that. Totally shocked. It's like, well, no, we're followers of Jesus. And that was back, you know, we've been married 32 years. Our sexuality is spoken of in the scriptures, and God wants to be Lord of all of our lives. How about materialism? The world says, get all you can, follow the money. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It says to give and give generously. As much as we give, at that measure, God will give back to us. And even in overpouring. Materialism. World missions. The world says take care of your own. Stay close to home. Be, be careful or leery of those who are unlike you. What's the Bible say? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. It says, make disciples of every nation, crossing every barrier, going to people who are unlike you with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus Christ. Show kindness to the foreigner. Show kindness to the alien. It's different than the message of the world. Trust. The world says, trust only yourself. Trust what you think, whatever you think is true, whatever you believe is right. The Bible says trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your path, trust in the Lord. Sexual identity, I'm on some tough ones here, I'm just flying over the top. Sexual identity, the world says, no one decides my sexuality for me, not even my biology and not even God. I am the sex that I choose to be, the sex that I feel that I am. And with love and sensitivity, I would respond that, the Bible says that God made them male and female, beautiful and perfect before him and that there are choices made for our lives that are not ours to choose, that God chooses for us. Topics of abortion. The world says the women have the right to do whatever they want with their bodies. Governments must get their hands off of their bodies. Sounds right, until you read Psalm 139, for you form me, my inward parts, The Bible makes it clear that all human life is incredibly precious, all made in the image of God, and is called to be cherished and protected. You see, the reality is, I know I'm saying some things, my heart is not to be hard. The reality is that more and more of those of us who claim to be followers of Christ will be at odds with our society. And if your whole goal is to fit in and not cause any waves, that will become more and more challenging for you. Things which are good are being spoken of as evil and evil being spoken of as good. Those, you're reading stories regularly, those who stand for marriage are being called haters. Those who are standing for life being called anti-women. That's why I just want to say don't. I put it out here today. Don't be surprised if it's costly to you. Don't be surprised if it costs you your job. Or your friendships. Or public ridicule. I even told my children sometime. Coming back to America to preach. I said. It is possible by speaking the truth. No matter how kindly and gently. And understandingly, I possibly can that things I would say would be illegal to say and I might start a prison ministry sometime. And they're like, you go, Dad. We'll visit you there, you know. <laughs> All right, praise the Lord. Um, the Bible says in First Peter 4, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that's come upon you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed at the revelation of his glory. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Wow. Because the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. Indeed, none of you should suffer as a murderer, a thief, or wrongdoer, even a meddler. But if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but glorify God that you bear that name. So the Bible speaks of suffering when we suffer for being Christians, not for being jerks, not for being rude, not for being argumentative, but by standing in grace and kindness for the truth. When we suffer for that, we can rejoice and be exceedingly glad that we have the honor of suffering for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus... It says he was full of grace and truth. I love that little statement. He spoke the truth, but Jesus was full of grace. And I am not advocating angry Christianity. I am not advocating go out and argue someone, because you know, when you argue someone in the truth, it never works anyway. Nobody ever gets argued in the truth, they get loved in the truth. They begin, they see it in your life. But there will be challenges more and more upon us as we seek to walk out our faith in this generation. I wanna close with a quote from a man named Carl Henry, written in 1947. It's amazing to me that it was written in 1947 because it sounds very much like today. And he says on this topic, so let us not stay silent with this gospel. Let's not allow fear in our culture to muzzle our faith in Christ. And let's not enable indecision to rule our lives. We don't have to ask what the will of God is. He's made it clear. He wants his people to provide for the poor, to value the unborn, to care for orphans and widows, to rescue people from slavery, to defend marriage, to war against sexual immorality in all its forms in every area of our lives, to love our neighbors as ourselves regardless of their ethnicity, and to proclaim and practice truth regardless of the risk, and to proclaim the gospel to all nations of these things we are sure. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for the truth that we find in your word. God, thank you that your word is solid and true, that we can base our lives upon the teachings, the words, the instruction that we find in the word of God. God, I pray that our light would shine in this world that's becoming increasingly dark. And the Father, we would not be shy to speak of you. The Father, we would not have to protect even our jobs or our reputations. But God, we would be those who with gentle courage would walk according to your word in righteousness, and that the world would see Jesus in each and every one of our lives. God, help us. Help us, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're our guest this morning, I'd love to meet you. I'll be at the Welcome Center on the left.